Why don't we just get straight into the message this morning? It's in Mark. I want to turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 14 to 21. The message this morning is don't forget to remember. It says this in Mark 8, 14 to 21. It says, The disciples have forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and, have, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the fourth. 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say that of any year, this year has changed the world. Cool, one or two people agreeing with me this morning. Uh, This year of any year is a year that has changed the world. I know every year has its challenges, but this year has is a little beyond challenges, isn't it? This year has created for all of us probably more questions than it has answers. We've had to learn the art of adaptability where parents become teachers and teachers become internet sensations. <laughs> and it's just been such an intense year. And, and probably about three weeks ago, I was having some intense prayer with God Um, In other words, I was complaining about this year and telling God that this is not the year that I envisioned, this is not what I asked for in this year, this is not what I was planning for in this year, and and I'm just a little bit upset that this year is going the way it is, because that was never my intention of how this year should look like. And and then God said to me in, in the middle of my intense prayer, other words, complaining, he said to me, but this is what you prayed for. And I said, I don't think so. I I don't think I prayed for this yet. And he said, remember in January where you prayed and you prayed, God, I pray that you would change my life this year. I pray that you would cause me to go deeper into you this year, that I want more of you this year. And um, and I said, yeah, yeah, but not like, not like this, (laughs) not like this. But I think there's something interesting that you and I should always remember. And that is, I think for you and I that there is a disconnect between what we want God to do in our lives and what it's going to take to make that happen. I think we have a disconnect about what it is that we want God to do in our lives and what it is it's going to take to make that to happen. You see, I think that we have this issue where we want to be changed, but we don't want to be challenged. Everybody happy they're here today? You know, it's like, God, I want to go deeper, but I don't want to be disrupted. But here's the thing, if we look at everything about Jesus and everything about God, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God was always about disrupting the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. God was always about disrupting the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. He was always after the Pharisees. He was always upsetting the comfortable religious people, but he was all about comforting the woman caught in adultery or anybody else. He was about disrupting the comfortable and comforting the disturbed. And in this part of this passage, it's it's come just after the feeding of 
4,000 people, but it's 4,000 men. There's plus women and children. So it's probably about 10,000 people. And his disciples have got into the boat and they forgot bread apart from one loaf. And they jump into the boat with Jesus and they realize that they've forgotten some of the bread, the leftover bread. And Jesus says to them, be careful, the yeast of the Pharisee, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. And, and the disciples are kind of like a little bit confused in this space because they're kind of like, um, Jesus, it's you and us in a boat with a loaf of bread. There's no Pharisee or Herod to be seen anywhere. Well, you know, they're basically like, what are you going on about? Because Jesus' response to them is, why are you talking about bread? And they're like, because you're talking about yeast? It's like, they're, they're absolutely confused. And this is classic Jesus, yeah? Where he's saying one thing, but he's meaning something completely different. And the disciples like you and I sometimes don't quite pick up on it very quickly. And, and they're saying, what are you, why are you talking about that? He's saying to them, why are you talking about that you have no bread? I, I believe what, what Christ is trying to say to them right here, right now, is like, you're talking about a loaf of bread, but what you don't understand is in the boat with you is the bread of life. You've got a loaf of bread, but you're looking at the bread of life. And the bread said, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Well, what is yeast? Yeast is a fungi, yeah? It's a fungi that just a little bit of it gets through the whole dough and, and then it activates and it causes your bread to rise and diminish. Some people, I'm pretty sure during one of the lockdowns anyway, they saw Instagram posts of them making like a yeasty thing for doing some sort of bread. I think, Dave, you did a bread, didn't you, during that? And so we, the yeast gets through the whole dough and it, and it allows the bread to do what the bread should do. And it's a fungi that gets in a little bit of it will affect and contaminate the whole entire bread. But Jesus here is not talking about literal yeast and he's not talking about literal bread. He's talking about himself being the bread of life and he's talking about yeast as a metaphor for unbelief or for pride, or for sin. And he's saying just a little bit of that can be can contaminate the whole entire bread, as in the bread, the bread of life, as in the relationship that you have with me. And he's saying to them, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees, in other words, religion, and Herod, politics. And I think if there's one thing that I see today in, Christian, in the Christian world and in Christian lives that scares me the most is that we have mixed in to this relationship with Jesus, the purebred, um, religious and political views that aren't necessarily what he's about. And we've allowed this stuff to get in there and it's contaminated the actual bread of life, the relationship that we have with him. And what he's saying here is don't, don't mix that stuff in with me. Don't mix that stuff in with me. This is about you and I. This is about relationship. This is about who I am. And he's not talking about this loaf of bread, but he kind of says to them, since you want to talk about bread, let's have a conversation about bread. And he goes into the whole thing. Remember when I fed the 5,000 plus women and children? They reckon that was about 15,000 people. How many loaves did you have? Oh, we had five. And how many basketfuls did you pick up extra? Oh, 12. And remember the 4,000 people uh, plus women and children, so probably about 10,000 people that I fed? How many loaves did you have then? Oh, we had, had seven. And how many did you take up of basketfuls afterwards? Oh, five. And, and I think what God is trying to show them here is like, hey, guys, there was five loaves and 15,000 people and seven loaves and 10,000 people in this boat 
there's 13 of us, 12 of you, one of me, and a loaf of bread, I'm pretty sure we're going to be okay. I'm pretty sure because me, the bread of life, is in the boat with you, the one who fed the 15,000 and the one who fed the 10,000 is in the boat with you. I don't think we need to worry about how much bread we have in the boat. If your focus would be on who's in the boat instead of what you have in your hand, you'd understand that the bread of life is the one who does the multiplication that causes things to happen that you would never dream of. And if you just focus on the fact that the bread of life is in the boat, you wouldn't be worried about what's in your hand. See, the 5,000 or the 15,000, if we say it this way, scholars say that he fed with the five loaves was about six months prior to him feeding the 4,000. And the thing that I love about this, that Jesus did it twice, is the thing that it says to me, and it should say to you, is that the God who has the ability to do the miraculous once has the power to do the miraculous again. The God who had the ability to heal you once is the God who he can heal you again. The God who opened the door once is the God who can open the door again. He can do it again. And he's trying to say to his disciples, remember, remember, don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember, one, who's in the boat with you. And don't forget to remember, two, that I've done this twice before. I'm pretty sure I've got this covered. Don't forget to remember who's in the boat with you. And sometimes we need to rehearse our history and remember the things that God has done for us and through us and around us because as we start to remember the things that he has done for us, what it allows, it allows a strength and a faith to come to our lives which enables us to face what we're going through right now because we understand that if he did it once before, our God can do it again. It's great comfort to us. It also means this, that Jesus is not just concerned about the condition of your soul, but he's actually concerned about the need of your circumstance. In other words, if it matters to you, it matters to God. And in fact, if we put it this way, if it matters to you, it matters even more to God. It's usually what matters to us is our physical need, is our circumstantial need. But God is more interested not just in your need, but he's also interested in your soul. He wants to do both, not one or the other. And he's concerned about the bills that you have to pay. He's concerned about your anxiety and your depression. And he cares about your soul and he cares about what you need. And to the point that even while he's preaching to this vast crowd, in his mind is a heart of compassion that says, hey, these guys are hungry, they need something to eat. Not only is this a message to us that God cares But it's also a mandate to us as the church that we must reflect the character of Jesus. That we must reflect the fact that we not only care about the condition of someone's soul, but we actually care about the condition of their circumstance and their need. Howard Thurman said this, the power of prayer is directly connected to your willingness to be part of the answer. In other words, he's saying you can pray all the prayers that you want and claim all the promises that you want, but if you don't get your behind up and moving and be part of the answer to the prayer, then the prayer won't come to pass. He's saying that the the direct connection of prayers being answered is our willingness to be part of the answer. In other words, God is, is looking for someone that he can partner with. He's looking for people that will partner with him, not just to care about the condition of people's souls, 
but to care about the condition of people's circumstances also. The problem with feeding so many people is it's a lot of work, yes? There's a lot of people to feed when he's feeding 15,000, 10,000 people. And when there's a lot of people, there's also a lot of problems. You're really quiet today. There's enough problems just in our family, let alone 10,000 people. Okay, your family's obviously awesome. But here's the thing. I think we're going to be careful that we don't forget to remember that we're called to people. And if we're called to people, then we're going to have problems. Because people come with problems. They go together hand in hand. Don't forget that we don't forget to remember that we're called to people and people come with problems. And I thank God that you and I have the vaccine, that you and I have the answer, and his name is Jesus. We actually have the answer to a lot of people's concerns and worries and fears today. But the thing that I love about both these miracles that I kind of want to unpack for you this morning is that both of these miracles started with compassion. Compassion was the catalyst for the miracle. In the feeding of the 5,000, it says that Jesus' heart was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And in the feeding of the 4,000, it says that he had compassion for these people. In, in, in the first one, in the feeding of the 5,000, his, his compassion moved his heart. In the feeding of the 4,000, the compassion moved his lips. And the thing about that is that when you look through Scripture, it's virtually the only time that Jesus actually biblically utters out of his mouth that he has compassion. So in one moment, the compassion moves his heart, and the next moment, the compassion moves his lips. But how many people here know that if you have compassion, then you've got to take action? That compassion without action is not compassion at all. It's just feeling sorry for people. Because compassion is where care and action collide. Compassion is where your care and action collide. That's what compassion is. Compassion without legs is not compassion at all. Compassion was the catalyst for both of these miracles. And we've got to be people that have compassion, that have care, but also take action. And I found it interesting that in both miracles, some of the problem is, is that the disciples really asked the wrong question. They asked the wrong question because worry is a byproduct of asking wrong questions. I hope that gets into you today because I believe it's so true that worry is a byproduct of asking the wrong questions. See, their questions were, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. It'll take a year's salary when it came to the 5,000. And the next one was, their question was, where are we going to find food in this desolate place for these people? The, the questions they asked, actually, when they asked the wrong questions, led to worry. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to find food? You see, when we ask the wrong questions, worry is the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. And Jesus said to Matthew, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And really what he's saying here is, if you're asking, what am I gonna eat? What am I gonna wear? What am I gonna drink? You're asking the wrong questions. And those wrong questions lead to worry, because worry is the byproduct of asking wrong questions. But when you ask the right questions, like seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things will be added to you. In other words, you won't have to wonder about what you're going to eat and you won't have to wonder about what you're going to drink and you won't have to wonder about what you're going to wear because he will provide it to you because you're asking the right questions. Worry is the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. And we are in a season, friend, this year, especially with this pandemic, where there are a lot of wrong questions being asked. I wonder if the reason you are worried is because you're asking wrong questions. You're asking questions like, I wonder if there's going to be another lockdown. I wonder what I'm going to do about paying my bills. I wonder if I lose my job. Wrong questions. And I'm not saying don't have wisdom around all of that, but worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. And in this story of these two feedings of the miraculous, the disciples asked the wrong questions and Jesus asked the right question. In both of these miracles, Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? In other words, stop worrying about what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. How about we focus on what we have at our disposal how about we focus on how many lows we have? What, what do you have at your disposal that God has given you? The thing is, when you ask the question of how many lows do I have, it doesn't lead to worry, it leads to work. Because when we ask the question of how many lows do I have, it means that I have to stop and take an inventory of what I do have. I have to stop and take an inventory of what I do have rather than what I don't have. I have to ask myself, what is it that I actually do have? Don't let the enemy make you focus on what it is that you have lost. God wants you to focus on how many loaves that you do have left. It's so easy to look at Instagram and Facebook and see how many loaves everybody else has. But God's asking you, how many loaves do you have? What is it that God has given you? What is it that he has placed in your hand? Not what you don't have, but what you do have. So that requires work because we have to take an inventory of what God has placed in our world. Here's the crazy thing, and I hope you picked this up this morning. Some of you are probably sitting here and you're going, Craig, it's really cool about the loaves, but there were fish as well. Any fishermen here? You're like, I want to hear about the fish. Forget the bread. I want to hear about the fish. Here's the crazy thing, and I hope you pick this up this morning. I hope this gets into your spirit this morning. Jesus never asked, how many fish do you have? He asked, how many loaves do you have? And in the process of taking an inventory of how many loaves they had, they discovered they had fish too. Because the thing about the kingdom of God and God is when you start taking an inventory of what he has given you, all of a sudden you discover there's something extra that you didn't even realize that he had given you. 
And for nothing else, if you could walk away with that this morning, understanding that as you start to look, and that's what seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness means, because as you start to seek that, as you start to take an inventory of what he has given you, salvation, forgiveness, mercy, grace, you start to discover all this other stuff that you didn't realize that you even had. You start to discover the extras. You find something extra. I'm telling you, if you'll stop focusing on what you don't have and start giving God thanks and be grateful for what you do have, you're going to find some fish along the way. You're going to find that something extra. And in both miracles, what they had in their hands was very little. I don't know about you, but there are times where I feel like that what I have is not enough. It's very little. Have you ever looked at what you have and gone, like, God, that's just not enough? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not enough to be the husband that I'm called to be. I'm, I'm not enough to be the mum that I'm supposed to be. I'm not enough to be the leader or the business person that I'm supposed to be. Here's the thing. Even successful people that I know have this gnawing in their soul that they're not enough, that it's not enough. And can I tell you the truth? Today, this might be a surprise to you, but what you have is not enough, and what you have will never be enough while it's in your hands. While it's in your hands, it will never be enough, but God is calling you to take what is not enough and put it into His hands, because once you get it out of your hands, something miraculous happens when it gets into His hands, but as long as we have it in our hands, it will never be enough, because in our hands, we're trying to control it, but when we give it to Him, then He is able to do what He needs to do with it. We've got to get it out of our hands and into his hands. He took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it right back. And the interesting thing about the miracle is that the multiplication of the bread and the fish didn't take place in the blessing and the breaking. It took place in the disciples handing it out. Jesus didn't stand there for five hours breaking bread into baskets. He broke it, gave it to them, and as they handed it out, it started to multiply. Why? Because multiplication happens through interaction. You see, Jesus has all the power, and he could have clicked his fingers, and in a moment, everybody would have been filled, sitting back, loosening their belts, and going, whoa, that was awesome. But for some crazy reason, he decides to use these 12 guys that don't seem to understand what he's talking about half the time to distribute what he just blessed and what he just broke. Can, can you see them passing it out? Because we've got to remember, it, it hasn't multiplied yet. It's, it's, it's just five loaves, two fish that have been broken into 12 baskets. And, and, and so they're handed, he's telling them, you go and hand it out. Now, there's 15,000 people needing to be fed. They're hungry, right? Can you imagine going around? It's like, hey, uh, how you doing? Looking good today. Don't take too much. It's going to go around. You know, oh, your baby's cute. You know, I'm sure they're trying to distract from the fact that they were probably absolutely pooping themselves. But here's the thing is that as they went around and as they gave it out, that it started to multiply through interaction. And here's, here's the thing. It's as they passed it out that it multiplied. And before you know it, they had leftovers. And the problem that I have for the disciples with these two miracles is that in the first one, the feeding of the 5,000, you can give them a little bit of grace that they were like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to work. They'd never seen anything like this before. 
<laughs> How's this going to work? Five pieces of bread, two pieces of fish, 15,000 people. If we, if we, oh, it's probably not even enough there for a little bit of communion, but if we just, I, I can understand them being nervous about the 5,000, but when the 4,000 need to be fed, I'll be like, hey, it's all right, guys, been here, done this before. Anyone got some bread? Seen this, done this, woohoo, we get to do this again. But they don't do that, do they? They forget to remember that God has come through before, God can come through again. Come on, if God has come through before, God can come through again. You see, this is only a few months after the first lot that we're doing the second lot. The same scenario. First of all, they didn't notice the need. And second of all, Jesus does notice the need and it's compassion for the people that moves him. And, and, and they should have been like, man, where's the loaves? Been here, done this, just give me some loaves, we'll give it to Jesus, we're all good, we've got this covered. But how many know we can be just like them, yeah? God's come free for you before and even in the middle of this pandemic and yet you're stressing, come on God. God, when are you going to come through? But he's come through for you before and friend, he'll come through for you again and sometimes we forget the goodness and the faithfulness of God we forget to remember what he has done. But I actually think the problem for the disciples was a lot more than they just forgot to remember. I, I actually think it goes a little bit deeper than that. Because in the feeding of the 5,000, the real issue was not whether God could do it or not. The real issue was the price. Because the whole thing was, it'll cost a year's salary to buy all the bread and everything for these people. Their focus was on the price of what it was going to cost to feed them. And in the feeding of the 4,000, it was about the place and the people. Where are we going to find food for these people in such a desolate place? Jesus said in the second one, I have compassion for these people. And the disciples' question was, where are we going to find enough bread? Wrong answer. To feed these people in this place. And to me, the feeding of the 4,000 happened near a place that I looked into because the feeding of the 5,000, that happened in, in Israel with Jewish people, but the feeding of the 4,000, that happened in a Gentile territory, in other words, non-Jews in a place called Decapolis. And, and the thing about Decapolis, it's a place that Jews just didn't go. They just, they just never went there. They never hung out with those people. They never went to that place. And Jesus says, hey, I, I've got compassion for these people too. Not, not only do I have compassion for the, for the Israelites that were fed 5,000, I've got compassion for these people too. The feeding of the 4,000 was, to me, is a, is a field trip that Jesus took the disciples on to show them that he's the bread of life for everybody. Not just for the Jews, but for the entire world. It, it, it's a trip where he's saying, hey, everybody needs this bread. Everybody needs this bread of life. Everyone is hungry, and I'm going to use you to give this bread, the bread of life, to the entire world. And I've got to help you to see who you don't normally see. He took them on this field trip so that they would see who they don't normally see. See, it's easy to see the people, the Israelites and the Jews for them, it was hard for them to see 
that Jesus was the bread of life for the Gentiles also. So he had to take them on a trip and do the same miracle a second time round to show them people that they don't normally see. And I think that what we should be praying in this season of craziness and chaos is, Lord, help me to see the people I don't normally see because they need bread too. Help me to see the people that we don't normally see because they need bread too. It's amazing how you don't see people with addictions until someone in your family has one. It's amazing how you don't notice whether there's elevators or not in a building until you have a family member that needs an elevator because of a disability. It's amazing how we look at certain situations and not really have compassion or understand because we don't see what we need to see. Thank God for the feeding of the 5,000 and for the 4,000 and what he did with the bread because it shows us what he wants to do with you and I. It says that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and then he multiplied it. And that's what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to take you. He wants to bless you. He wants to break you. And then he wants to ultimately give you out so that your life can touch somebody else's life. And sometimes it's in the breaking that that happens. And we tend to run away from the breaking because the breaking doesn't feel comfortable, but it's in the breaking that God is able to put into a hand something that in the interaction becomes a multiplication. And then those that are hungry that don't know him, they get the bread too and they get filled and they come to find Christ and he'll make you see people that you don't normally see. Can I just get the musicians to come? And I know that we're in a season that is difficult to say the least, but I believe that we're in a season where we can't afford not to forget. Don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember. Don't forget to remember that he saved you, that he delivered you, that he's come through for you before that it'll come through for you again. Don't forget to remember that in all you're looking for what you need, the one that you need is right in it with you. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. He doesn't do providing, he is provider. He doesn't do healing, he is healer. He doesn't do salvation, he is salvation. He doesn't do love, he is love. He doesn't do grace, he is grace. He doesn't do mercy, he is mercy. Everything that you could need is in the boat with you, but we can get so busy at looking at what's in our hands and feeling like what's in our hands is so inadequate, and you know what, it isn't adequate. But when we take it out of our hands and we put it into his hands, don't forget to remember that he will bless it, he will break it, and he'll give it out so that it's multiplied in the interaction with those around you, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in the restaurant, in the pack and save, in countdown, at the supermarket, wherever you may be, God wants to feed hungry people. And the way that He does that, don't forget to remember, is through you. That in the season where we're just so focused on what we need, God is trying to say to us, hey, if you focus, do not worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Don't worry about those things. Those are the wrong questions. The question is, what has God given me and what can I put into His hands? Because in His hands, it's always enough. 
And then how can I see that? Blessed, broken, and multiplied. Don't forget to remember the provision of your God. Don't forget to remember that God wants to take you, bless you, break you, and multiply you so that you will share who He is, the bread of life, to the entire world who is hungry for Him. We live in a crazy season, but we live in a season where the kingdom of God is advancing quicker than ever. This is not a season for us to shrink back. This is a season for us to be broken and given out. And while we focus on what we need and try and hold on to it and try to control it, friend, I'm telling you, it'll never be multiplied that way. It only gets multiplied because compassion requires action and then the interaction creates multiplication. And we have a world out there that needs us to multiply the bread of life to every hungry soul.